Cause stupid followed evil and there was nowhere to escape. Cause stupid- They called her an emo. What's wrong with that? Emos suck! They're vile, self-pitying, depressed assholes! So why do you think they called her that? Because she's goth and some ignorant people don't know the difference! What is the difference? Oh my god! They're totally different! Okay, different how? They're... you know, one is good and... and emos are horrible! They're... you know, they're posers! Emos suck my goth balls. Alright, alright, think of it this way. A goth believes that deep down the world is totally fucked up. But an emo thinks that deep down, they are totally fucked up. That's not much of a difference. That's a huge fucking difference! Okay, okay, look. Emos are more prone to suicide. This fucking bitch, man. But goths are more prone to be depressed that so many people commit suicide. Goths' darkness is nihilistic, whereas emos is cynical. Wait, I thought we were cynical. Well, whatever, it doesn't matter. No, see, you're nihilistic. Oh, yeah, you're right. God knows anything goes. Sing for me a melody into the night air. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little, but some day the piecing together of dissociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Zang, yeah, right. Uh, well, not so good. You know, I, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm seeing things. I think it might be because of these drugs the army put me on. But if you could uh, just get me well enough to get back to base. Right. <laughs> Kick ass. Well, don't want to sound like a dick or nothing, but uh, it says on your chart that you're fucked up. Uh, you talk like a fag, and your shit's all retarded. What I do is just say, dang. Yeah. Theosophists have guessed at the awesome grandeur of the cosmic cycle wherein our world and human race form transient incidents. They have hinted at strange survivals in terms which would freeze the blood if not masked by a bland optimism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> no, I I'm serious here. <laughs> Don't worry, Skrull. Now there are plenty of tards out there living really kick-ass lives. My first wife was tarded. She's a pilot now. I need for you to be serious for a second here, okay? I need help. There's that fag talk we talked about. <laughs> All right, so that'll be this many dollars. The end of the world is just the beginning mapping the collapse of globalization. What are we on the precipice of? Mm. What's coming next? And some of you will like the answer, but most of us <laughs> will not like the answer. So he claims we've been living in a kind of mini golden age. We have been living in a perfect moment, he says. This is why I'm saying it's like a mini golden age and it's passing. Technological advancements bring us to new frontiers where we don't always know what's in store for us over the horizon. An excess of data contained within our pockets and accessed within seconds has led to information overload with the lines between fact and fiction becoming ever harder to ascertain. And societal divides, both old and new, play out in repeating circles, getting more and more entrenched and leaving a society that's fractured. This is the world we live in, and in the brave new world of tomorrow, what is the answer to uncertainty, misinformation 
and division. Who can you trust? How do you find answers? And what can you believe in? This is what Deus Ex is about. And look, it's business. It's nothing but impersonal mathematics. Brought to you by Carl's Jr. Why do you keep saying that? Because they pay me every time I do. It's a really good way to make money. You're so smart, why don't you know that? <laughs> but the growing human concern today in headlines out there is always about the exploitation and atomization of us and our human connection, our depression, our loneliness, our skyrocketing suicide rates, people's lack of resilience, and as a consequence, we're isolating ourselves into digital straitjackets to stay as safe as we can. And now we're even scrambling to curb or censor each other, like fucking snitches, to the very bully that exacerbates the problem, Big Brother. Brought to you by Carl's Jr. For the average thinking man, let's say, it's probably something like being Winston with the cast of Brave New World. Like, look how childlike they are. Look how much their lives have been designed for them. And then look how much over here. Look at the discrepancy between the internal and the external. That's enough to drive anyone insane. Though thinking nothing of the language of Big Brother themselves, i.e. their marketing and advertising, they are the awful parents that care nothing for its children, but somehow we seem to turn to them for safety at every turn. One might say, but human, these businesses aren't doing anything wrong. They're offering a service and it's not their fault if you allow them to overcharge you, is it? Technically, you're right. I agree. But it's the Machiavellian way in which they use morality as a slot machine lever rather than a human moral conviction. And again, yes, I know they're not a human being. But I mean, why are the so-called honest and open parts of the agreement written in microscopic fine print at the bottom that you can't see? We shall now be able to approach nearer to the character aesthetic Socratism supreme law of which reads about as follows quote to be beautiful everything must be intelligible end quote as the parallel to the socratic proposition quote only the knowing one is virtuous end quote with this canon in his hands euripides measured all the separate elements of the drama and rectified them according to his principle the language, the characters, the dramaturgic structure, and the chorus music. The poetic deficiency and retrogression, which we are so often wont to impute to Euripides in comparison with Sophoclean tragedy, is for the most part the product of this penetrating critical process, this daring intelligibility. Idiots think nothing of the intentional malevolent language of advertising and marketing. Big Brother. It's amazing. I can't fathom the loyalty people have to the machine, but not to each other. Is it just our survival instincts siding with the bigger, more powerful entity like a hypergamous wife? Again, if you're not seen and no one and you can't trust yourself and you're full of doubt and everyone tells you, at what point do you finally break? And what does that breaking actually entail? Does it completely break your will to live? Can you not conceive of life past that sort of subjugation at that point? Orwell understood that the whole point of a religion and a state and all these things that came into be is like it was a way to pattern and shape men, right? It was a way to shape and pattern the world. In the realms of 1984, it is a command, thou art. 
The command of the old despotisms was thou shalt not. The command of the totalitarians was thou shalt. Our command is thou art. No one whom we bring to this place ever stands out against us. Everyone is washed clean. When all is said and done, loyalty in this context just seems like the simple dependency of a dog to me and can be summed up in one short pitiful sentence. Don't leave me. And the stoic in me today dry reaches at that statement. You're mediating this process of that notion of trusting yourself. But there's a question of how much of what is in you has been instilled specifically to tell you to doubt yourself, to tell you you're wrong, to tell you to declare bankruptcy on your own experience, to tell you that that's not what you saw, that's not what you felt, that's not what you should be thinking, that's not what you should be feeling. How this stuff worked in the past from a future totalitarian regime filled with double speak and news speak, and he had two minutes hate, but I say it's 24-7 hate, you know, available with modern media. And I know, I know, gentlemen, the sensible economic morality keeps pushing us to think of just the money and be damned with all the rest and forget about everything else. Take the smartest, cheapest deal in the case of my electricity bill previously, right? But really, even if it's offered by the entity who's been using you as a doormat, is this the dry and inhuman mathematical standard of today? Just business all the time? I can't help realizing that we're turning into machines or whores, gentlemen, and I'm not quite sure which. Is this us evolving in a perverse way and letting go of our antiquated sentimentality to survival instincts of loyalty we just simply don't need anymore? Now that the world is more connected and safer, I honestly don't know. I'm posing the question. Death and despair! Death and despair! Death and despair! Hello? It's worse than we thought. What is everything? Going on to these next technological revolutions. And I guess the question is, is we in the West here heading into this period of decline? It's a question of provided we don't destroy ourselves or something else doesn't come along, how long will it take us to sort it out? And do we become ghosts in the machine? Are we looking for yes. God in the machine? And then the result, do we become ghosts in the machine? For a single person to appear at the outset of the play telling us who he is? What precedes the action? What has happened thus far, yea, what will happen in the course of the play, would be designated by a modern playwright as a wanton and unpardonable abandonment of the effect of suspense. Everything that is about to happen is known beforehand. Who then cares to wait for it actually to happen? Considering, moreover, that here there is not by any means the exciting relation of a predicting dream to a reality taking place later on. Euripides speculated quite differently. The effect of tragedy never depended on epic suspense, on the fascinating uncertainty as to what is to happen now and afterwards, but rather on the great rhetoro-lyric scenes in which the passion and dialectics of the chief hero swelled to a broad and mighty stream. Everything was arranged for pathos, not for action. And whatever was not arranged for pathos was regarded as objectionable. But I'll say a final thing about identity, maybe. Sure. Um, really kind of what we were talking about earlier, like finding something real. That's what everyone's like really looking for, because it's like overwhelming sense of fakeness, and they're looking for that so. with identity. 
what would you say? Politics doesn't, that's one of the things, right? That you, you just brought up. Yeah, like, you can identify people are using it for that void, but it doesn't, but it doesn't actually scratch the itch. Nope. Because it's not real. Like it's uh, politics is intensely theatrical. Accordingly, he placed the prologue even before the exposition and put it in the mouth of a person who could be trusted. Some deity had often, as it were, to guarantee the particulars of the tragedy to the public and remove every doubt as to the reality of the myth. As in the case of Descartes, who could only prove the reality of the empiric world by an appeal to the truthfulness of God and his inability to utter falsehood. Euripides makes use of the same divine truthfulness once more at the close of his drama in order to ensure to the public the future of his heroes. This is the task of the notorious Deus Ex Machina. Between the preliminary and the additional epic spectacle, there is the dramatico-lyric present, the, quote, drama, end quote, proper. I guess it does seem like quite the yeah, well, cultural and, and, unmooring, really. And you can see that reflected in the language that's all meant to distance and change, well, even the way we use language, right? That there has been a sustained attack on linguistics and categories in the English language. Well, the way, well, really quick, you were saying the main character doesn't have a name, which I know you're talking about Fight Club, but it made me think of uh, They Live. Just John Carpenter movie, oh, which yeah. I think part of the reason why that's such a great film is because you don't have to come from any particular viewpoint or political background or whatever. You can watch that movie and it so perfectly encapsulates what I think a lot of people go through. Like you have a moment where you wake up to like, oh shit, I'm living in a fake world. Dwayne Elizondo Camacho, five-time okay. Ultimate okay. Smackdown okay. champion born superstar and president of the United States. And it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that is, the, that is our you, job. Yeah, and this, this is, is extremely dangerous to our democracy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the chairman of World Wrestling Entertainment, Mr. Get that power march going. The Battle of the Billionaires will take place on WrestleMania 23. You think he might be a little bit intimidated by the uh, Donald? Real funny, huh? You laugh at me, huh? Well, you won't be laughing after WrestleMania. You're going to be laughing at Donald Trump. Donald wrote a, a book sometime, a very successful number one bestseller entitled The Art of the Deal. Well, this is one deal that Donald Trump is going to be really sorry he's going to sign. You have a moment where you wake up to like, oh shit, I'm living in a fake world. Brought to you by Carl's Jr. First of all, Vince, your grapefruits are no match for my Trump Towers. <laughs> what I relate is the history of the next two centuries. I describe what is coming, what can no longer come differently. Everything bows before the coming barbarism, art and science included. The President of the United States 
is a duck? A duck is president, and the whole country is going to the dogs. Or whatever, the president is a dog. Who cares? Coming June something. Whatever, you'll pay to go see it. F you. Who are you people? We are the secret society of cynics. Everything looks like shit to you, right? What if I were to tell you that you're seeing the world the way it actually is? Huh? The world around us has all completely turned to shit. But aliens are putting out a brainwave that keeps most people seeing a false reality. Aliens? Or robots from the future, whatever. The point is they need to keep everyone in a blissful state of ignorance. Yeah, everything used to be awesome and cool, but now everything's gone to shit and nobody knows except us. Yeah. Because of aliens? Or genetically altered humans, whatever, fuck you. All that matters is that you are the key to bringing this whole thing down. They know who we are, but they won't be expecting you. Are you ready to go back into the illusionary world you once lived in? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's send him in. Drink this. I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. You move to an area and you multiply. And multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease. A cancer of this planet. I have no stomach for games. I already know you will not see reason. The Alliance wanted to show me reason. They shouldn't have sent an assassin. You must stop imagining that posterity will vindicate you, Winston. Posterity will never hear of you. You will be lifted clean out from the stream of history. Do you even know why they sent you? It's not my place to ask. I believe in something greater than myself. A better world. A world without sin. So me and mine gotta lay down and die so you can live in your better world? I'm not going to live there. There's no place for me there, any more than there is for you. O'Brien smiled slightly. You are a flaw in the pattern, Winston. You are a stain that must be wiped out. Did I not tell you just now that we are different from the persecutors of the past? We are not content with negative obedience, nor even with the most abject submission. Civilization has absolutely no need of nobility or heroism. Nothing here is what it seems. He isn't the plucky hero. The Alliance isn't some evil empire. This is not the Grand Arena. Mustafa Mon checked him. But he manifests himself in different ways to different men. In pre-modern times, he manifested himself as a being that's described in these books. Now, how does he manifest himself now? Asked the savage. Well, he manifests himself as an absence. As though he weren't there at all. That's your fault! Call it the fault of civilization. God isn't compatible with machinery and scientific medicine and universal happiness. You must make your choice. Our civilization has chosen machinery and medicine and happiness. That's why I have to keep these books locked up in the safe. They're smut. People would be shocked by it. Even the notion of you is a flaw in the pattern. You asking your questions, you getting in the way, you know, whatever it is that you're doing to obstruct the progress here. You know, there's an aspect to it 
it's got a spiritual corollary. You know, it's almost like you could see that to in manifest destiny in, let's say, a country like the United States. And when I think of this one, I, what I think of going on right now, to me, it almost it looks like a manifest destiny 2.0. You got a lot of idealists and they're saying, you know, you're either on our side or you're in the way. I think that allowing for the book being, after all, a parody, something like 1984 could actually happen. This is the direction the world is going in at the present time. In our world, there will be no emotions except fear, rage, triumph and self-abasement. The sex instinct will be eradicated. We shall abolish the orgasm. There will be no loyalty except loyalty to the party. But always there will be the intoxication of power. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. The moral to be drawn from this dangerous nightmare situation is a simple one. Don't let it happen. It depends on you. Perhaps one did not want to be loved so much as to be understood. In that particular line, it changed my perspective entirely when I was younger. And it illustrated to me that the way that I experienced the world was, was quite different to other people because of my upbringing and my early experiences. And that there was a lack of understanding between myself and other people. And I realized that I had to find a way to bridge that gap if I, if I wanted to progress in life. Call it uh, moments of clarity. I mean, you ever sat in a room alone and feel like you just got struck by a bolt of lightning? I mean, that's how I felt reading 1984. It was like someone just revealed a very private secret with me and I couldn't unsee the truth. Now, I saw it as a calling for individuals to exercise critical independent thought. And I saw it as a warning against the dangers of groupthink and that a man has to be aware of the very real risks and also the potential dangers and also the potential long-term ramifications. But that man also has an obligation to preserve his individual liberty and to critically examine and question the narrative. It may be one-sided to insist only on the blurred lines of the dull colours in the picture of modern life Yet the other side is no more encouraging, it is only more disturbing. There is certainly strength there, enormous strength, but it is wild, primitive and merciless. One looks on with a chill expectancy, as though into the cauldron of a witch's kitchen. Every moment there may arise sparks and vapour to herald some fearful apparition. For a century we have been ready for a world-shaking convulsion. And though we have lately been trying to set the conservative strength of the so-called national state against the great modern tendency to volcanic destructiveness, it will only be, for a long time yet, an aggravation of the universal unrest that hangs over us. We need not be deceived by individuals behaving as if they knew nothing of all this anxiety. Their own restlessness shows how well they know it. They think more exclusively of themselves than the men ever thought before. They plant and build for their little day, 
and the chase for happiness is never greater than when the quarry must be caught today or tomorrow. The next day, perhaps, there is no more hunting. We live in the atomic age, or rather, in the atomic chaos. The opposing forces were practically held together in medieval times by the church, and in some measure assimilated by the strong pressure which she exerted. When the common tie broke, the pressure relaxed, they rose once more against each other. The Reformation taught that many things were adiophora, departments that needed no guidance from religion. This was the price paid for its own existence. Christianity paid a similar one to guard itself against the far more religious antiquity and laid the seeds of discord at once. Everything nowadays is directed by the fools and the knaves, the selfishness of the moneymakers and the brute forces of militarism. The state in their hands makes a good show of reorganizing everything and of becoming the bond that unites the warring elements. In other words, it wishes for the same idolatry from mankind as they showed to the church. And we shall yet feel the consequences. We are even now on the ice flows in the stream of the Middle Ages. They are thawing fast and their movement is ominous. The banks are flooded and giving way. The revolution, the atomistic revolution, is inevitable. But what are those smallest indivisible elements of human society? There is surely far more danger to mankind in transitional periods like these than in the actual time of revolution and chaos. They are tortured by waiting and snatch greedily at every moment. And this breeds all kinds of cowardice and selfishness in them. Whereas the true feeling of a great and universal need ever inspires men and makes them better. In the midst of such dangers, who will provide the guardians and champions for humanity for the holy and inviolate treasure that has been laid up in the temples little by little by countless generations. Who will set up again the image of man when men in their selfishness and terror see nothing but the trail of the serpent or the cur in them and have fallen from their higher state to that of the brute or the automaton? But it's funny that I'm speaking to like some hypothetical person who doesn't exist at least in present capacity to understand yeah. the fallout for years to come of the cultural yes yeah uh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna keep coming the fallout's gonna keep coming guys too far did i fly into the future a horror seized upon me you see he said turning to mr norton he has eyes and ears and a good distended african nose but he fails to understand the simple facts of life understand Understand? It's worse than that. He registers with his senses, but the short circuits his brain. Nothing has meaning. He takes it in, but doesn't digest Digest it. Already he is, well bless my soul, behold, a walking zombie. Already he's learned to repress not only his emotions, but his humanity. He's invisible, a walking personification of the negative. The most perfect achievement of your dreams, sir, the mechanical man. I, I feel that these days, any discussion of this topic has to begin with an apology, which is to say, I, I've been a critic of my community, but I've also been part of it for many years, and we screwed up terribly, and I feel I should apologize on our, you know, for what Silicon Valley has done to you. I am, uh, we really did screw up, and I'm sorry. At this point, though, what I wish to do is to try to bring you a perspective 
of someone who's still part of Silicon Valley. It is still my community. I still love it, even though it's done horrible things lately. And I'd like to try to bring as much constructive perspective as I can. To begin with, I want to say a little bit about how things go wrong within social media systems, and I'll use that term very broadly to include services like YouTube. If democracy cannot adapt to these new conditions, then humans will come to live under the rule of digital dictatorships. And this, this is, is extremely dangerous to our democracy. Control of data might enable human elites to do something even more radical than just build digital dictatorships. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. It's a very pertinent question to ask how do we build back better. We have a chance to reset the clock and build, build back, back better. better. It's my plan to build back better. To, some would say to build back, back better, we would say to really have a reason, great reset. So how can Davos contribute to improving the state of the world? First, we know that all those challenges cannot be met by governments alone, by business alone, or by civil society alone. We need collaborative efforts. Buying things. And the World Economic Forum here, Davos here, you here, I think it's the most impressive community for global cooperation. Second way of contributing to make this a better world is to look at all those issues in a holistic way. Buying things. But the ruling class at Davos says, don't worry, it's all a part of the plan. We need to accept that there will be some pain in the process. Uh, the pace that we need will, uh, will open up for missteps. Uh, it will open up for uh, shortages on energy. It will create inflationary pressures. And maybe we need to start talking about that, that that pain is actually worth it. Why is she smiling? Oh, I get it. I get it why you're smiling, baby. You're smiling because you don't have to go through it. You're like, oh, there's going to be some casualties of war. People are going to die. They're going to go through stuff. It's going to be some recession. Hey, look, they're not going to be able to afford the gas. They're not going to be able to afford food. They're not going to be able to feed the babies. But guess what? It's growing pains. <laughs> stuff that we all go through, right? Am I right? Huh? Am I right? I know, right? Because I'm rich. I'm rich. Ain't that what Dave Spell say? I'm rich. So they don't even give a dag on about anything else. They're like, man, look, they gonna those the little people that we're talking about, they gonna go through their stuff. But guess what? While we're in our bubble and we are protected in our bubbles, we can figure out if it goes too far while we're looking at these peons. But my world has become one of infinite possibilities. What a phrase. Still, it's a good phrase and a good view of life, and a man shouldn't accept any other. That much I've learned underground, until some gang succeeds in putting the world in a straitjacket, its definition is possibility. Step outside the narrow borders of what men call reality, and you step into chaos. There are many factors going on. The world is multifactorial. Computer systems, whether we call them social media or search or video streaming, whatever they are, they can't insert new things into the human soul. They can only emphasize and organize. They can only agitate, but they cannot create what is inside of us. All of the things 
that come out were there, they just were more balanced before. So we've seen this great unbalancing. You know, a wise man once said that, that we talk when we cease to be at ease with our own thoughts. That's certainly true. Another wise man once said that uh, if people only spoke from a place of knowledge, there'd be far more silence in this world. And I personally wish there was, because when you look around, there's, there's a lot of noise in the world today. You know, things that are stabilized off kilter. And people's view, you know, their purview, it's become confined to just tiny screens on their phones in front of them. You, know, you see them, you see them walking around there. Their heads craned downwards like some dog just sniffing for scraps. <laughs> I see a young man walking around like that, I just, you know, I just feel like slapping him upside his head and shaking him and telling him just, just have some self-respect. You know, whatever is in that little screen in front of you, young man, is not happiness, but pain. You will hear different people all say like the same one to three excuses, the exact same ones, which then shows you that it's not these people it's not our friends our family our loved ones saying this these like their excuses that they give that that they need to stay on these social media platforms you know if you tell someone to quit and they'll say like oh no but like um i message my friends on there i, I need to, i needed to message people oh no but I, I i use it for business the same few excuses come up when you try and get someone to quit my realization was that this is not your friend talking those excuses are literally implanted beliefs and attitudes so deep into their mind that they think they are the ones who have thought of it. They don't sell their own products. Facebook doesn't sell itself. You use Facebook and you give them your attention for free and they profit from your attention by making you see ads every now and then. They're literally profiting billions from us. What do we get in return? Loneliness, depression, anxiety, suicide. It's so easy for us to think of, you know, these like um, revolutionary, passionate nerds who stand there with like weird, weird clothes and shit, like just looking like fucking robots and they stand at the front of the, the big conference. Our aim is to change the world through increasing gig. Shut the fuck up. They know what they are doing. They know that they have the blood on their hands of thousands of people who have killed themselves heavily influenced by social media. They know this. They know that, for example, the people who work at Instagram, they literally all know that that is the number one app that has resulted in the most mental illness ever. They know this and they still push forward with their movement of increasing retention. Why? because these nerds get paid a good amount. Here is the deal. Um, these businesses have a kind of a prime directive to drive what's called um, engagement, to drive what's called persuasion. Those are the two terms we use. And virtually all of their money is made from advertisers. Now, uh, engagement obviously means getting people to participate more and more. 
I prefer to use the term behavioral addiction because I think that that refers to a body of scientific research that's directly applicable and is directly used knowingly by the desi designers of these systems. So I prefer to say addiction and I prefer to say behavior modification because the systems directly draw on the behaviorist field of science that has studied techniques for altering human behavior patterns for many years. I think the weak men are those of the Silicon Valley nerds. I think they are our weak men, even though they are the strongest men of humanity ever. Like the strongest person or people right now are nerds. They control presidents, they control governments, they control billions of people's views. They hold everyone's attention and attention is the most valuable currency and also weapon of the modern time. The weak men in Silicon Valley, the software developers, the senior executives, the, the shareholders, the Facebook and Meta, they've created the hard time. They have blood on their hands. We've been slowly losing a battle that we didn't even realize was going on. If the modern wars are fought with attention, then we've been losing against the people, the groups of people who have displayed the ultimate war strategy which is to win without bloodshed, to win without the enemy even realizing that they are fighting a war because that's what happened to us. You don't even know what war I'm talking about. It's the war on our mental health, the war on our social connections and friendship and love. And that war is fought against these evil companies that are choosing profit over people. The domination of the world by companies like Facebook or, or Meta and what they have done to our mental health is, is unforgivable. Perhaps the new age strong man that we need is the man who will fight this war for us. Because when you look around and you think about your family, they're always watching something. They're watching the TV, they're watching the news, they're on their phone, they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram. You know, your mom uses a phone like this, like an old person does. Like, and your mom's addicted to social media now. Your dad's been addicted to social media for a while. Your siblings are addicted to social media. Your friends are addicted to social media. The woman that you get with eventually is gonna be addicted to social media. Everyone around you is addicted. Everyone around you is just trading their attention for little bits of dopamine. And this reduces their quality as a person. This really makes them subhuman. I know that sounds horrible, but like a person addicted to social media, you'd agree, is subhuman. They are less of a person. Their brain literally gets fucked up. Their ability to make a loving connection with someone gets fucked up. They can't even stay present with you. If you get a in a conversation with someone who spent too much time on social media, they can't even listen to what you're saying. They literally have words in their brain processing different thoughts, different images, whilst you try to speak to them. Perhaps this is you. Perhaps you can't even have a real conversation with someone. The algorithms are not very good and they have to detect a change in the person's behavior. So what that suggests is that they'll be better at detecting those behavior changes that are more fundamental, more primal, more dramatic. And if we look at the kinds of behavioral or experiential stimuli that cause people to respond in a way that a program might notice, such as clicking a lot or staying on the same program for a long time, we discover that those emotions that are the most powerful are what are sometimes called the fight or flight emotions, that is to say, the very primal emotions of being afraid, being angry, and so on.
Now, because the effect of these systems on people is actually kind of slight, even though it's cumulative, so it becomes significant over time, but at any given moment it's slight, what we end up with is diffuse versions of these emotions being highlighted over and over again. And so what we get is paranoia and irritability, which are the versions of uh, uh, flight and fight. Irritability is a diffuse version of getting anger, par angry. Paranoia is a diffuse version of fear. And so what you see is people all over the world having a rise in this paranoid feeling. Who are those people over there? What are they doing? What's going on? This very strange feeling of worrying that the world isn't on your side, that there's something very wrong. And then also this feeling of hostility. Yeah, it's you, it's you, it's you. I'm, I hate you, I hate you. I'm going to expose you. I'm going to do something terrible to you. Those two feelings. Now, as I said before, those feelings, of course, were always present in people. However, there's something interesting here. When scientists study which kinds of stimuli uh, create responses in people, what we can call positive and negative stimuli tend to balance pretty well overall. So in other words, telling people, praising them, uh, acknowledging that they've been helpful, um, offering kindness, love, friendship. These things have as much of an influence as fear and anger in the big picture. However, the pattern in which they come on is more gradual. It takes much longer to build trust than to lose trust, for instance. So the, the algorithms pick up on the negative ones and they accentuate that side of humanity, whereas normally it would be more in balance. And so I believe that that accentuation of fight or flight responses over the whole of human nature is what has created this wave of um, fear and anger-based politics all over the world and what has started to detach us from reality. You all realize how fucked we all are. How do you regulate the ownership of data? The future, not just of humanity, but the future of life itself may depend on the answer to this question. A lot of young men today, I mean, they're just, they're gazing into a pit of despair through just a, a screen on their phones. Now that's where they're starting from. It's square one. They don't have the tools, they don't have the words. They don't have the language. They don't have the meaning in their lives meaning or purpose it's it's like this just this elusive just ethereal thing that young men know is being dangled in front of them but today i mean they, they see it as more of a noose than a carrot because they don't trust the message being thrown their way they don't trust what's being sold to them marketed to them it's, i suppose under the guise of advice and i, I don't blame them most of it is bullshit it's just sharks just trying to make a quick buck. Quick buck off the desperation of young men. And the rest of it, it's just outdated. It's just generic means. Just boomer advice, just completely out of touch with the real world. Out of touch with the experience of young men today. I feel I should apologize on our, you know, for what Silicon Valley has done to you. I am, we should have gotten that right and it should have been built into the internet. And I'm really sorry we screwed that up.
I remember <laughs> when we were formulating the internet, I was there and we had these meetings about it and the idea was to make it absolutely as bare bones as possible to create room for private industry, but we just created monopolies. And I remember even uh, <laughs> saying, to Al Gore, who was the principal a political driver of it at the time, we're just creating this gift of trillions of dollars to persons unknown because these things will become network effect monopolies. And it's like, well, now we know who the beneficiaries are. But government must intervene and undo the mistake we made and create very easy payments. I'm seeing some, not many, but some future strong men emerge in this revolution. Bunch of young guys fed up with normal life, craving natural life like our ancestors did. Like maybe yeah. those who live more outside the Skynet will have something resembling what we once called a human life. And then everyone else, it's, you know, a hamster wheel or whatever it is that people conceive of. They do it because they want a solution. They want a remedy. They they want to take away their pain. They want to feel like they're part of something bigger than them. And they want to feel like they're doing their part. They want to have an identity. They want to be part of a tribe. And the average human being, I mean, they're more than happy to sacrifice their freedom and their individuality if it lessens their pain. If, if complying means smoother sailing, then what's a little freedom? With a little freedom in the grand scheme of things. Right? You just go along to get along, right? So after all, I mean, you got to look out for number one, right? We don't owe anything. We don't owe anything to anyone, right? And well, we get put on blast every day as men. We get the shit thrown at us, so fuck them, right? But it's, I mean, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny that you, uh, you can't comply your way out of tyranny. Because all that happens is that the world gets smaller. It gets, it gets smaller and it gets more restrictive. Until you find yourself in a little straitjacket, staring at grey walls. Well, I mean, I prefer having colours in my life, you know, not just grey. Because there's a difference between living life and, and just living. There's a difference. They asked me a question <laughs> in a theatre, and their question was, if we're going to be made obsolete by artificial intelligence in our lifetimes, why did our parents have us? Why are we here? Which is, um, I've heard many dark things from teenagers. I like the darkness of teenagers. I still have some of that in me at this late date. But I've never heard that before. That was something so dark and so bleak that it was almost unimaginable. You know, one of the most terrifying stories I ever read was by Harlan Ellison. It was called... I have no mouth, and I must scream. It was written in the 1960s, but it was far ahead of its time. And it's an extremely graphic depiction of a sadistic master computer that's, that's killed every living thing, except for a few humans he, he keeps trapped in tunnels beneath the earth. And there is no escape. And the computer, he just, he relentlessly tortures them. Now, I always wondered, I always wondered what scared me so much about that story. And what it was, was that the only thing more terrifying than the truth is the unknown. It won't really hit up until you see... That's fucking dark, but I don't think... If you've lived quite a sheltered life and you've never really seen this, 
It won't really hit you that we are in the hard times up until you see firsthand someone with negative, with mental illness, heavily influenced by social media. But there may be a time within the next few years that you see someone committing suicide with your own eyes because it will get that coming. It will get that, that frequent. And then when it hits you that the reason why they have done that is because of the mental illness caused by these companies. The way we're getting all that data to put the translators out of work is through social media and, and search and, and the same companies are gathered. They, if you talk to Google or Facebook, they're, they don't really, I, I mean, I'm sorry. These are my friends. I've sold a company to Google. I have many friends at Facebook, but they really fundamentally don't spend much time talking about your concerns here. They don't really care about the press or democracy or civilization or survival. They're in an AI race. Who will own the giant brain? Because then the giant brain will solve everything. In fact, a deus ex machina of its own namely the god of machines and crucibles. That is, the powers of the genii of nature recognized and employed in the service of higher egoism. It believes in amending the world by knowledge, in guiding life by science. And so they view everything else as just kind of near-term distraction. Because a lack of strong bonds, a lack of, of, of social and familial networks. That's the primer. That's the foundation. Because you look around, I mean, even, even before the, the, um, the last two years, even before all these lockdowns, you know, social isolation for men, isolation for men was at an all-time high. There's a really good analogy I like, which is imagining a male animal, a cat, a dog, a bull, and imagine it in its like natural habitat when it's just, you know, it's born, it's quite young and it hasn't been castrated and it's male. It's territorial, it's aggressive, it's adventurous. That the very essence of all civilization is to train out of man, the beast of prey, a tame and civilized animal, a domesticated animal. It follows indubitably that we must regard as the real tools of civilization all those instincts of reaction and resentment. What happens when the manhood is removed from a male? It turns weak, docile and submissive. It's easier to control. If you have only individuals and a behemoth, there's no way to do that. You can't ask a giant universal entity to be the arbiter of speech unless you want to live in a totalitarian society. Which, by the way, I'm concerned about. One of, the, one of the scenarios that worries me is totalitarian countries that become totalitarian through Facebook and Google, then nationalize their parts of Facebook and Google in order to cut them off. That's a real scenario, and I worry about that scenario. And why should he? And why should you? I mean, your rights and your freedoms as a human being, they they don't cease to exist to make someone comfortable by adhering to just nonsensical mandates, especially mandates that erode your basic human rights. Whence all of the passion towards conformity anyway? Diversity is the word. Let man keep as many parts and you'll have no tyrant states. Why, if they follow this conformity business, they'll end up by forcing me, an invisible man, to become white. 
which is not a color, but the lack of one. Must I strive towards colorlessness? But seriously and without snobbery, think of what the world would lose if that should happen. America is woven of many strands. I would recognize them and let it so remain. It's the winner take nothing. That is the true, great truth of our country, or of any country. Life is to be lived, not controlled, and humanity is won by continuing to play in the face of certain defeat. Our fate is to become one and yet many. This is not prophecy, but description. Thus, one of the greatest jokes in the world is the spectacle of the whites busy escaping blackness and becoming blacker every day, and the blacks striving towards whiteness, becoming quite dull and gray. None of us seems to know who he is or where he's going. I think it would take a thunderbolt from Zeus to shake things up at this stage. <laughs> but what I've outlined, it's the only way forward. And look, I mean, the only thing I can say to any man listening to this is don't let fear and emotion take hold of you or influence your decision making. Stay clear of it. You know, stay aware and check in with your body. You know, stay present and aware because there's a lot of sharks in the water right now. So keep your wits about you. And listen to that little voice inside you. Don't be a chess piece in someone else's game. Be your own man. Peace. Finding peace. It's in you. All right? so it's not on the screen, on your phone, or on some app, or on some social media platform. Because all you will find in those places is pain and further alienation. So flush that toxic shit out of your life. Because the most important thing a man can have in this world is his own sovereignty. And don't compromise that for anyone. Brought to you by Carl's Jr. What we have to realize is that we're Americans. You know, we're deeply selfish monsters that have been bred to destroy all life on Earth. We can't, we have to not lose sight of that message. We're here to fuck things up for everyone else, not each other. And that's what we had in the 80s and the 90s. We had a commitment to apathy while our leaders ran around pillaging the Earth. And we made great movies and great art, and it was fine. Yes, people got killed, but people always get killed. But now we're, we're at war with each other. We're, we, we should just be enjoying the spoils of the end of the empire. Truly. <laughs> we should be enjoying it. People, so many people got killed, murdered, tortured, maimed for us to have all the nice things we have. Do you know how insane it is to not enjoy it? Do you know how crazy it is to not enjoy a McMansion, a flat screen TV, a McFlurry? You know how much blood is in the street for those things? And people act like they don't even matter. And they're fighting about all this bullshit. It's crazy. Anyway, that's the truth. That's the real truth. Nobody wants to hear it, but that is the truth. We have a lot of these things are nice, but some of them are ill-gotten gains. Fine, you know. Not everybody picking tomatoes is happy about it. But have you ever had a good, like a nice Jersey thick beefsteak tomato? It's good. Imagine having one and then fighting with someone about something. It's stupid. If there's a hell world going, and if there's not, we get reincarnated to uh, we're uh, beetles or something. But just enjoy it, and nobody wants to enjoy it. And that's what makes me upset. It helps people who want to just continually operate in the system as it's constructed. And whether that is the system of perpetual war or the system of 
the, the banking sector, the dominance of the financial sector, or the system is tech companies set up to have this these political relationships, how they're presently constituted. People who are thriving in this system and using it to their ends do not want it changed. And people hating each other helps them. It definitely does. Do you think that that's just human nature? Yes. And you're just doing it while this is happening? Or do you think it's orchestrated? This is the question, right? Is the yeah. dissent and is, is some of it, we know it's manipulated by other countries. Yes. We know that China does it. We know that they have these uh, these huge Russian organizations that, that yeah. in their troll farms. Yeah. You know, we know that that's going on. The, the idea that we wouldn't do that to ourselves if we were trying to get people riled up about each to other. an extent is probably a f an, an inherent flaw in democracy but i'm glad i lived in one and i'm glad i lived in the time i did but i do think you know a democracy kind of descends probably into an oligarchy eventually the vast majority of the citizens go i don't want the responsibility of citizenship so a few really highly motivated psychopaths go we'll handle it we'll take it from here and then those people are fighting over their own interests brought to you by carl's jr <laughs>